I, uh, last month, I, I, I watched a film. It was a short film on YouTube, and it, it, it was uh, called The Church Planner. It was by a pastor, and it was just a short film where he talked about <clears throat> um, some things in the church. And man, as I watched it, it shook me. It had some information in it that really shook me to my core. And this gentleman was standing in this film. He was um, standing in a museum that used to be a church. He was standing in a, in a church that was founded in 1881. This church was fo- founded in 1880. So this church that he was standing in was founded one year after this church was founded. He was standing in this church that was founded in 1881. It was a, it was a beautiful old country church. And it had, he was standing in what, what used to be the worship center and they had converted the wall into a mausoleum and a, and a museum of what used to take place at this church. Pictures of the, the, the Sunday school, pictures of worship, pictures of gatherings, pictures of different things that they used to do. And, and out beside the church was a graveyard where a lot of these members died and uh, were buried. And this church saw the gospel preached and proclaimed. But for some reason, the church declined in such a dramatic fashion that they had to close their doors. And and the building now only holds photos of what once used to be. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 says that where there is no vision, my people perish. And and so as as I thought about that, as I read that text and I thought to myself, I'm not an alarmist. I, I, I might have a little bit of a bent to conspiracy theories every once in a while, but I'm not an alarmist by any stretch of the imagination. But I can say that the American churchgoers, if there is not a dramatic change in their mission and their goal and their drive, soon the American church will look like European churches, cold, dead and lifeless. Thomas Rayner, former CEO of Lifeway, says that between six and 10,000 churches in, in the United States alone are dying each year. To bring that into more, a bigger perspective, that means that this week, between 100 and 200 churches will close this week. And he goes on to say that that pace will accelerate unless congregations make dramatic changes in their lives. And as of this moment, the changes are not seeming to come. The right kind of changes that are there are changes that are coming, but they're not the right kind of changes. The facts show us that people, for the most part, are not interested in making church a priority much at all in their lives. 92% of churchgoers This was as of July 2020, according to Pew Research, 92% of churchgoers say that they do not plan to attend church more often after the coronavirus pandemic is over than they did prior to the pandemic. So what is the normal attendance of a churchgoer look like? That's the question I had to ask myself as I did the research, it says 92% of churchgoers say they don't plan to do anything different like, than they did before this thing. 92%. So what was the, what was the, the, the stats prior to, to the pandemic? The forecast for this was striking. The regular attender 
of a church prior to, prior to COVID was once a month. An average normal churchgoer attended church one time a month. I'm calling this message this morning the State of the Union for First Baptist Church of Cedarvale, Kansas. What are our goals? What are our mandates from Scripture? According to the Bible, we are called to make disciples and we are called to be bold in our faith for Christ. We are not called to shrink away from opportunities to share the gospel. Rather, we are to be unashamed. We are mandated by Scripture not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. We are told, rather, that we need to repent and we need to pursue Christ. The state of the world today is nothing short of wicked and depraved and hellish. The church is called to be two things in the midst of this. We are called to be salt and we are called to be light. So in that fashion and in that vein, please go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm looking these up just like you are, so let's get there together. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of people. You are the light of the world. A church set on a hill, a city set on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand that it may give light to the entire house. In this same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to gather. God, that seems to be a rare thing in our day now. And God, I'm thankful that we're here together as a body corporately. And God, I pray that as we continue in the word this morning and we continue this message, that you would be proclaimed, that you would be made much of, and that there would be a Holy Spirit-driven desire for us as the people of God to repent where we need to, to exhort where we need to, to encourage where we need to. Father, give us strength as we walk through these days. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to be community. We are called to be a community that sounds and looks and feels different than the rest of the world. The question is, are we being different than the world? Are we truly striving to be salt and light? Salt preserves. We put salt on things to preserve it and make sure it doesn't go, go bad. It's an agent that's used to make sure that things don't spoil. A couple of years, well, golly, over a decade ago now, I went to Nicaragua on a mission trip. And I had never been outside of this country. And I went to Nicaragua on a mission trip. And we were there that week during um, their government paychecks that were coming in. And so people would get their government paychecks and they would go and they would get food. Well, some of the people that owned animals just opened up market. And when they opened up market, they just opened up market, brought the cows in, slaughtered them in the street. And I was like, whoa, this is totally different than me. I get my package 
of meat at the store. It's got some nice cellophane over the top of it. This did not happen. This was quick right there in front of us. And they didn't use bullets. They used hacksaws. And I was like, why would you do that? Oh, we don't want to waste a bullet. Whoa. They filleted that thing open and they, the ladies threw salt over that meat as they spread it open. And I was like, wow, look at that. They're using the salt to make sure that it, it saves preserves because they lay it over the they laid the, the meat over the top of the, the racks there so people could buy that. Salt is an agent that's used to make sure things don't go bad. Things don't spoil the picture of what a Christian should be. This is what this is. Your salt. You're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It can't be. It can't be restored. This is a picture of what a Christian should be doing. We should be salt that preserves good. We are agents that are used by God to ensure that things do not spoil. And let me tell you, the church is doing a crummy job of being salt. We're just, we're not being a really good, we're not like as many Christians as there are in America. We should have a different stance in our country. But because these Christians, and I use that term incredibly loosely, incredibly loosely, um, we are in the state we're in because Christians have not been salt. But we are called, nevertheless, God still has called us to stand up for holiness and righteousness. Amen? Psalms chapter 1 and verse 2 tells us what a follower of Christ looks like. Listen to this. But he, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. Like, so this is, like, this is what we're called to be as Christians. We're called to meditate on his law. And I know that in the world, in the church world in which we live, the law is a dirty word. And oh, that we're not under law, we're under grace. The law is still prevalent. The law is still present. And we delight on what God's precepts are. We're to delight and to study and to meditate on God's word. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those that will be satisfied. We are called not only to long for righteousness, but to preserve it. We're to long for it and we're to preserve it. Yet in the modern church goer, there is no significant difference from the world. The modern church goer who attends and sits in pews on Sunday mornings, there is no major significance or difference in their life. None. Nothing is notable. There's no notable change in their behavior. There's no notable change in their life. Rather, Christ is, rather than Christ being the end all, be all to our lives, he is just an add-on, a tack-on at the end of everything. Well, oh man, it's Sunday. I bet, man, I bet, should I go to church? Ah, man, it's been, it's a holiday weekend. Nah, I'm not going. I'm not going to go. He's just an add-on. We've done everything else we want to do with our lives. And then we're like, oh, wait. Yeah, Jesus. This should not be. We're called to be a preserving agent of holiness in this world. And if we're not doing so, we should stop calling ourselves Christians because we're not. How can I say that? Because the text says so. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of people. If you read in Luke, Luke takes it a step further and says it's not even good enough to be thrown onto the manure pile. Like, so if you're not being salt, stop calling yourself a Christian because you're not. You should not have to engage the FBI and the CIA to figure out if somebody belongs to Christ Jesus. Amen? We're called to be light. Light exposes and illuminates the darkness. When light is present, darkness cannot stick around. Darkness doesn't argue with light and say, you know what? No, I think I'm going to hang out here. Darkness runs when light is present. It can't stay. It must flee. Being a light, there is no shame or hiding in the light. It's bold. It's on display for everyone to see. There is no mistaking light, especially in the darkness. But yet, we have people who are calling themselves followers of Christ and make no effort to boldly proclaim their faith to others. It is just uh, not, even, not even on their radar. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that he is in debt to God for what he's done for him. He is eager to proclaim and share the gospel according to Romans chapter 1. And here's the question. Are you, like, let's just answer. You guys can feel free to answer. Are you in debt to God? Yeah. I'm in debt to the Lord Jesus Christ because guess what? We've, in Sunday school this morning, I can't get to God on my own. There is no way. I, Caleb Gordon will never measure up to God. And so I have to have somebody stand in the gap and provide a bridge for me to, to get to God. That was Jesus. And so I, therefore, I am in debt to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we believe that, why are we so stinking quiet? Fear, listen to me, fear is not an option for a Christian. When you stand in front of God and ask, and he asks, what did you do? And you said, man, I, I didn't really do anything. I, I didn't really do anything. I never really talked about you. I never shared the gospel with my friends. I never said anything. And, and he says, well, why? Well, I was sort of kind of afraid. We know from the Bible that the, there's a story about tenants, that God lends out talents. He says, okay, I'm going to go away for a while. Take those talents and do something with them. One, he gave one. One, he gave two, three. Four, every one of them multiplied it, except for one servant. One servant took the talents and buried them in the ground and did nothing with them. God comes back, the, 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 the master comes back and says, well, what did you do? Nothing. Why? Because I was afraid. And you know what God does? He says, you wicked, wicked servant, get out. And cast him into utter darkness. So, according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, listen to this. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will take place in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Did you see what the leading person would? Murder is not the leading offense. Being afraid, being a coward, as a man, 
As a man, if another man looks at you and says, you're a coward. Is that, there's no bigger insult. Then if a, one man looks at another man and says, you coward. Like that is totally, that, that just, that cuts to a man's core. So God uses this and says, listen, these are the people that are going to hell. People that were afraid. The thing that leads the charge in this is people who were afraid. I can't believe I'm actually doing this, but John Wayne once said, courage is being scared to death, yet saddling up anyways. The, the great theologian John Wayne. <laughs> courage is being scared to death, Yet saddling up anyways. I didn't say we can, it's, it's wrong to be scared. Every once in a while we can be afraid, but we keep moving forward anyways. Amen. It's natural and normal to be afraid, but we don't have to let fear cripple us. We rush headlong into whatever may come, knowing that God is with us. Remember Psalms 23? We've got that one memorized. got coffee cups and t-shirts. This is even a rap song from the 90s. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's with us in the darkness. God's with us in the valley. We don't have to be afraid. We are called by God to be unashamed of this message of the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. No matter what happens today, today will pass. And eventually, the end will come. And either you're with, either in Christ's return or in your death. That's the, that's the two options. You got, you got two options in this. I'm preferring Christ's return. I'm not the one over here saying, you know what, I can't wait to die. I'm not that guy. I'm, 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 I'm longing for Christ's return. But I'm either going to go in Christ's return or in death. Those are my only options. Either way, either way, this place, this Cedarvale, Kansas, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Indiana, those, these are not our permanent residences, amen? Our permanent residence is in heaven. And I feel like some of us are so careful in living such a comfortable and and, and safe life. I mean, we've gotten to where we don't want to give this place up. Yet the Bible gives us several examples of where and how we are to sacrifice ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, now listen. If you hear nothing else, listen to the couple, next couple of minutes. Investing, we should be investing in things of eternal nature. We should be investing in things that are eternal in nature. I, I know that the church, that church membership, now listen to me. I know that church membership does not save us or get us into heaven. But I will tell you that your commitment to your local church is a barometer of what's going on in your heart and in your life. 
You're loyal to what you're committed to. Hmm. Remember I said that according to the data that the average churchgoer only goes to church once a month? Those are pre-COVID stats. If I showed up at, now listen, if I showed up at my house once a month and I hung out with my family for once a month for an hour and really had no meaningful conversations or interactions with my family, then left the house and made no other attempts to have a relationship with my family, am I really committed to my family? That's a question. No. No, it, I am not committed to my family. If you, and here's the thing. If you could say yes to those questions, or if you're struggling with your commitment to your church, then perhaps you need to ask some serious questions about your commitment to Christ. Perhaps you need to examine yourself and consider that there may be a deeper issue with your salvation or your sanctification that's going on. The reality is that if you love Christ, you will love his church. If you had the kind of track record that you have with your church, with any other organization, would you be considered a member? The Rotary Club, the Rotary Club, says that you can only miss two meetings a year. And if you miss more than two meetings a year, you're not a member. That's their requirements, and they meet once a week. If you, if, you, if you miss two meetings a year, you're out. You're kicked out. Imagine if we took that kind of approach here. <laughs> when our roots run deep, we don't get washed away by whatever comes down the stream. Psalms 92 verses 12 through 13 says that the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like the cedar in Lebanon They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of God. Did you see that? They're planted in the house of God and they flourish in the courts of God. Why do they flourish? Because they're rooted deep into the things of Jesus Christ. They're planted and rooted deep in Christ. People who stick around during trials and adversities are people who are rooted deep in the house of God. I have seen over the last seven months people in Oklahoma, Montana, Wyoming, Kansas lose their minds over things. The research I pointed to this morning shows that many do not plan to come back to church potentially ever. Why? Because they were never rooted in the house of God. The evidence is there. There's no such thing as a halfway committed commitment to Christ Jesus. You're either all in or you're all out. There's nothing in the middle. Because if you're in the middle, Revelation chapter 3 tells us that you make him sick and he wants to vomit you out of the mouth. And this is where, listen, people look at me and they say, well, Caleb, Caleb, I might, if I come to church, I might get the sickness and die. I can't be there. I won't come. But yet you'll go to Walmart. Go to Costco. You go to all these other places. Go to eat out. There are people in Asia that are in Iraq and Iran that if they get caught there, it's a death sentence. But yet they say, yes, guess what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to gather. We're going to worship. This may be our last last Sunday on the planet. But guess what? We're We're going. 
Like, I had a, I've had several good friends this last couple of weeks tell me, Caleb, I believe that this is the, the, the winnowing. God's separating the sheep from the goats. People that have no commitment to Christ, they're getting just... They don't care. Yet they call themselves Christians. They're not. They're not Christians. How can I say that? Because the word of God tells us that they're not. My friend Kevin O'Connor, he's the pastor of Bagape Fellowship in Coffeyville, Kansas, said, how faithful would you think your pastor was if he only showed up when you did? I, that's not from me. That's not a quote from me. That's a pastor friend of mine. How faithful would you think your pastor was if he only showed up when you did? We're called to wage war on our sinful desires and make war not only on our bodies, but our sinful natures. Go to second, first Corinthians chapter nine. Go read, just turn over there with me to first Corinthians chapter nine. I want you guys to see this. Listen to this. Verse 25 through 27. Well, we'll starting verse 24, just to get a running start. Do you not know that the race, that all race, I'm sorry. Do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way to obtain the prize. Every athlete, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we do it for an imperishable crown. So I run. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I would be disqualified. Like, I need us to see this. I I don't want this church to become a museum with photos of what used to be taking place. I want this church to be a continued light in this community. And I know that times are difficult, but now more than ever, this is the part of the world that needs a a biblically centered church. Now more than ever, this is the time when we need to be standing strong on the word of God, not wavering in our commitments to preaching the gospel and helping others that are lost and in the dark. And listen, we can't do that if we've got our doors closed. We can't. Now is the moment that you and I have the opportunity to repent. Now is the opportunity and the opportunity to set things straight. And let me be really pointed with you. I'm not up here pointing my fingers in this place going, you, you, you. I'm pointing me saying, me, me, me. I, as your pastor, need to repent. I have done evil in the sight of God. I have not been committed to Christ the way I should. So therefore, I have committed acts of treason towards our Savior. Your pastor is owning that. Because I have not been committed the way I should. I have loved my sin and I have loved this world more than I have loved this God named Jesus Christ. And then I I have loved 
the things of this world and I need to repent. So here's the thing. I want to lead by example this morning. I'm asking the church. Listen. I am asking the church as a whole to join me and to pray together. I'm asking you. Listen. I'm being very pointed this morning and I want us to like pay attention here because I'm asking you to move from your seat of comfort and get on your knees before God himself and ask God to move in all of our lives as a collective. If there is any level in you that knows you need to repent, I'm asking, I'm pleading with you not to stay where you are. I'm asking that you would come forward and you would pray with me. I'm asking God to move and to forgive myself. I'm asking that you would ask God to forgive you. Because here's the thing. On judgment day, you will stand alone. You will stand alone and you will give an account. I will stand alone and I will give an account. I will not stand with my wife. I won't get to go, but God, she I don't get to stand with my kids. I don't get to stand with my church. I don't get to stand with my friends. On judgment day, I will stand alone before the presence of a holy God. And I will have to give an account. And if I have not repented, I have a promise from the Lord of judgment. Then once we repent, we need to move forward. And do what God's called us to do. Matthew chapter 28 gives us the directive. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. There's another Verse I want to still end with is Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? This is a command from God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with us wherever we go. Wherever we stand, wherever we sit, wherever we lie, wherever we eat, wherever we go, God is with us. And we do not, as his children, have to be afraid. So what happens if I get sick? You might. What happens if I die? You might. And let me promise you this. If God doesn't return soon, all of us die. I do, you do, all of us die. But here's what I can tell you from the promise of the word of God. No one dies early. The scripture says that it is appointed. There is an appointment set by God. I, it was before the foundations of the world. God said, here's the beginning date for Caleb Gordon. Here's the end date for Caleb Gordon. That's it. And if you, you there's, I, there's no, I can't eat enough leafy greens. Although I think you should. I can't do enough Pilates. I don't care if you do Pilates. I can't do it. I can't go run. My son loves to run like 12, 15 miles a day. It's ridiculous. I can barely get to the couch. It doesn't matter what I do. The appointment is set. And here's the thing that you need to understand. Before that appointment comes, I'm untouchable. You're untouchable. Before that appointment. 
God's got you here for a purpose. Now start doing what God's got you here to do. God's put you on this planet for a reason. Start doing what God's called you to do. Stop being afraid. Like, I, I need, like, listen, this church needs you. If you're a member here, get your hind end to church. Get off your blessed assurance and get moving. It's time. This is the, my, my, the state of the union is this. The mission for 2021 is we go hard for the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't sit back. There's no such a thing as retirement for the Lord. We go, if you read through the Bible, no one retired. The only time they retired is when they died. That's it. There was no such thing as retirement for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as retirement in this church. You go until Christ comes. And so what I'm doing is I'm asking us this morning, I'm pleading with us as a church to move from the position of comfort in our soft little cute pews. And we move out of that comfort zone and we get in front of God and we ask God to move in our lives, to move in our hearts, to move away from complacency and sinfulness and worldliness and move towards the things of God. That's what I'm asking us as a church to do. I'm I'm pleading with us as a church that that is what we would do. And we would stop being so afraid and we start living like bold Christians who have eternity in front of us it's time that we change our tune I told you we're supposed to look, sound, feel and act different we have hope we have hope the world is looking for hope why in the world would we extinguish that Matthew chapter 5 said don't Hide the old Sunday school song. Hide it under a bush. Oh no! I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bush. Oh no! I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Are you? Are you gonna let it shine? Or are you just gonna say? Because you have an opportunity in this moment to move in towards God in pursuit and repentance. You have a choice here to say, you know what? I am going to move towards this. I am not going to sit here. I don't care what anybody thinks, says, or does. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to forgive me. I'm going to ask God to move in my heart. You've got that or you can just say, you know what? I don't really care. Caleb, you're crazy. And I might be. But I can promise you I'd rather be crazy in the courts of God than sane in the house of wickedness. 